Well, good morning. If you've been with us so far in our study of 2 Corinthians, you'll know that Paul began the letter by focusing on affliction. And now we come to that topic again here in chapter 4. And the emphasis on suffering for Paul is significant because of the audience that he was writing to. They struggled, the people of Corinth, with this importance that their culture placed on social status. I think we can relate. Our culture focuses on social status above everything else and at the sacrifice of everything else. And when you're focused on status and comfort, it's difficult to reconcile that with the reality of suffering and pain or affliction. For all of us, life has many ups and downs. Suffering has been common to the human experience since the fall and since sin entered in. We all know this, and yet we like to suppress it. And not only that, but the greatest struggle for all human beings is the struggle that every single one of us is facing right now every day that we live. It's a day that we live closer to our death. And that reality that none of us will escape. So I know it's sober to consider that, but it's true. And Paul here in 2 Corinthians is showing not only is suffering a part of the human experience, but it's crucial for the believer. It's crucial for Paul that suffering exists in the Christian walk to show others that we need God and it's an opportunity for us to glorify Him. If you know the call of the Christian is to take up your cross and follow Him, there's a cost to that. Jesus knew that. And it means that our lives are filled with dying to ourself. I don't know one of us who loves that idea naturally. I know I don't. I haven't met a person yet who does. And yet that's the call if you want to follow Jesus. It's costly. And that's where the fight of faith and suffering meet for the Christian. So in the first three chapters of 2 Corinthians... Paul's shown us what it looks like to follow Jesus, what it takes, that we don't have it in and of ourselves, but that God comes in and changes us from the inside out. It's this promise of the new covenant that God is going to do that work in us. None of us will desire him apart from him changing our hearts and our affections. Will and Cody, a few weeks ago in teaching their Sunday school class, gave a great analogy Uh, So I stole it straight from them. Um, But it's the difference between Batman and Superman. And they explain, Batman, normal guy, just puts on an outfit, a cape, a mask, and has all these fancy cars and toys and tools and whatever to do the job, right? But it's all external to him. And then you have Spider-Man. He's bitten. He changes from the inside out. The power comes from within. And that's where he thrives. That's the Christian life. 
That's you and I if we follow Jesus. God has come in and revamped our hearts to want what he wants. To see our need for a savior and a Lord to follow. So our ability, as we've seen through chapters 3 and the first half of 4, is that it comes from God. It's his power, his strength. And that power frees us from the power of sin and self to follow Jesus. He also goes in to describe what happens in the human heart. The beauty of chapter 4 is that out of a heart of stone, he creates life. It's a beautiful picture. We can't create life out of nothing, but that's what God does. And so now, Paul is going to defend his ministry. And every life of every believer who's ever lived, and yours and mine, that suffering is actually normal. That is the call of the Christian life. And it's because... We can't base our life on social status, but rather on the power and mercy of God. So we're going to see that this morning. And I want to give you an encouragement because Paul tells us how every believer can face suffering with hope. So this morning, my only objective is one. I want to encourage you, if you are facing suffering this morning, I want to encourage you to continue to believe and walk in faith, trusting God. And if you're not suffering, I want to prepare you for the suffering that will come. No matter how good your life is, something is going to come, and I don't want you to be rattled by it. I want you to see and savor Jesus because of it. Would you stand with me in honor of God's word? We're going to read from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, starting in verse 7. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe. And so we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with him and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So I'm going to take two steps this morning. The first step's going, to, step's going to be brief, but it's the main point of this entire passage. And then the second step is going to be four encouragements for you to cling to in the midst of suffering. So what's Paul's main point here? Why suffering? And then what do we do with the suffering that we face? He summarizes his entire message of this passage in verse 7. 
he describes both the what and the why. He says, we have this treasure in jars of clay. That's the what. He tells us what the treasure is. A treasure is not a certain social status. It's not a certain balance in your bank account. It's not a certain career, a certain family, a certain amount of good deeds. If that's all you have, friends, you're lost. And you ultimately don't have any hope. But that's not what Paul tells you. The believer, he says, we have a treasure. What is the treasure? The treasure is that we have the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus being shown in our hearts. It's verse 6, right before this. This treasure is beautiful. It's glorious. It's true. It's the fact that God has displayed his glory in the form of Jesus. And he's given us taste buds to love that flavor. We love the gospel. This is the best nudes in all the world. This is the gospel. And if you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior this morning, this is where it starts. You can't suffer well unless you have Jesus. This treasure, that's what sets a person free. It's what describes the new covenant, that God does a work from inside out. We see Jesus clearly and our need for him instead of rejecting him and promoting ourselves. That's the gospel. We love him and want to follow after him. That's the treasure that Paul describes. But you know what? We have this treasure in jars of clay. That's us. That's these physical bodies. We can dress them up in suits and nice clothing and makeup and whatever else you want to put on the external, but we can't change what we actually are. Just merely a jar of clay, fragile and broken, cracked and common. Nothing special about this jar of clay. And on the surface, it doesn't seem right, does it? Why would you put such a valuable treasure in a vessel that is so fragile? It's like having the Hope Diamond in a flimsy cardboard box. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't seem right. But Paul tells us not just that this is true, but he says why. Why do we have this treasure in jars of clay? Look in verse 7. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. Friends, the contrast between the treasure and the vessel is all about who gets the credit, who gets the glory, whose power is displayed. It's not ours to take. It's God's. Because if it was just about us, we would be in trouble. If it was up to our power and our abilities, we would fail. But the great news is that God comes in and renovates us from the inside out. And 
He reminds us of that and gives us encouragement and hope in the midst of our suffering. Suffering, if you're a Christian, is normal. Throughout the Bible we see this. And here in 2 Corinthians, we've seen it in chapter 1, and here again in 4 and 5. It's normative. It's not abnormal. We pretend, because our culture tells us that it's all about status, that nothing's going on. The outside looks really good. But the reality is, every single one of us, whether now or at some time in the future, will be faced with suffering. And it's going to challenge our faith. And Paul is writing to you to give you encouragement. What we don't need, friends, is any number of earthly comforts. We don't need those. He may decide to give them to us, but we don't need them. What we need is to see Jesus and to see God's glory displayed. To see his power in our lives. Now, I'm going to give us four distinct reasons to be encouraged from our passage this morning in our suffering. And then I'm going to also ask ourselves a few questions to assess where are you? How do you handle your suffering? So first, the first encouragement in our suffering is that we are preserved in it. Verse 8, in every way we are afflicted but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. How many of you have felt the weight of your suffering and it feels like it's going to crush you? I've been there. I've been there with many of you. But Paul says, no, it will not crush you, friends. Don't lose heart. You will not be crushed, not driven to despair, not forsaken, and not destroyed. Though you are afflicted in every way, you are perplexed, you are persecuted, and struck down. Basically, you'll never be left to your own strength. The emphasis is that our suffering is too much for us if it's just up to us and the resources we have by ourselves. But it's not too much when we are in Christ. Friends, though our suffering is real and painful and weighty and it seems too much, the suffering that you are going through does not exist outside of God's power to sustain you. Who's doing the preserving after all? The one who sustains you, friends, is the one who holds everything in the universe by the word of his power. Hebrews 1.3 The one who sustains you is the one who said, let light shine out of darkness. 
and everything was created. The one who sustains you is the one who spoke a word and created life out of a heart of stone. God does all of this to show the surpassing power that belongs to him. Friends, that's the one who sustains you in your suffering. He gets the credit. He gets the glory. He sustains you, preserves you, and holds you fast. So in your suffering, remember that God will sustain and preserve you. He has promised to bring you to the end. Are you a jar of clay? Yes, you are, as am I. But a jar of clay that has been given a treasure that is infinitely valuable and will far outweigh the ups and downs of your life. Even death. What should we watch out for in our suffering? We should watch out for self-reliance and self-hatred. Are you attempting to draw yourself out of your suffering? Pull yourself up by the bootstraps? Are you trying to take credit for a change of circumstances or relief from your suffering without acknowledging God? What about on the opposite end of the spectrum? Are you quick to beat yourself up? Are you hypercritical? Do you lose hope and give up? Be on guard. God stands to remind you that he is for you and his power is surpassing your suffering. Second, in suffering, we see God's grace multiplied. This is found in verse 12 and verse 15. God's grace gets multiplied through his suffering servants. This isn't naturally what we want, obviously. And again, our culture tells us that something has to be wrong with us. But the truth is, friends, they're right. We do have a problem. What's wrong is they don't see clearly the allure of a treasure that moth and rust and death will destroy. They have no hope for you, friend. Only God does. The promise of a good career or enough money or the right social status to be seen and accepted in the right social circles None of that will help you when you suffer. But God does. His grace is multiplied to you in your suffering. So not only does he sustain us, but he brings us through our suffering. Either in this life or the life to come. But he also works through us to show others their need for him. We saw it in chapter 1, verse 6, already of 2 Corinthians. If we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Through affliction, God brings salvation. We see it 
here in chapter 4, verse 12. So death is at work in us, but life in you. This, friends, is grace upon grace upon grace. Your suffering, my suffering, it's not in vain. It has a purpose. Its purpose is to multiply the grace of God so that salvation extends to more and more people. Friends, there is never a time that God is not at work in your suffering. He is showing you, He's showing me, that we must rely on Him for everything. And He is using your suffering and my suffering as the best evangelism strategy. Showing the world how Christians respond to suffering by clinging to the grace of God. Paul says in verse 15 this much. He says, For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. Friends, be encouraged in your suffering that God is working in and through it to multiply His grace. What should we watch out for? Be careful of self-promotion and status and on the opposite end, isolation. Ask yourself, do you care more about making yourself look good before others than what God is doing in you to extend His grace to others? Is it merely about outward appearances and showing a certain status? Do you tend to isolate yourself in your suffering? not wanting to be vulnerable before others. Be sure to assess your motives. So we've seen in suffering that we are preserved. And we've seen in suffering, we see God's grace multiplied. Third, in suffering, we see Jesus and become more like him. Friends, if anyone understands suffering, it's Jesus. His willingness to become human, to empty himself of glory and all that he had with the Father, to come in, he set it aside, rightfully what was his, and he entered the brokenness. Who else would do that? Who else would do that gladly? but our Savior. He chose to suffer and die. He was the only sinless human ever to live. He had nothing to prove. And yet he came, entered in, and died for us who rebelled against God. He didn't have to be persuaded to do it. He wasn't forced to do it. No, he gladly did it for us, for you, and for me. For all those who would trust him to be 
our Lord and Savior. So he, of all people, understands us and he understands and sympathizes with our suffering. Verse 10 gives us this connection between the life and death of Christ and the reality of our suffering. And then verse 11 just repeats it back. Look at verse 10. We are always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Friends, Jesus lived and he died to redeem us and our suffering. And we don't suffer as those needing to secure anything that Jesus hasn't already accomplished. Be careful to think that your suffering is earning you anything. Jesus has already accomplished that, friends. Be encouraged. His life and death accomplished everything required for us to be accepted by God. So our suffering is more about being refined to look more like Him and not earn anything from Him. Now you may ask, why don't we know why we suffer? Why doesn't God respond to me in my suffering with knowing why? Friends, be encouraged that though God doesn't give you the why, and you don't know the reason your suffering is happening, it does not mean that there is not a purpose in it. Let me say that again. God not giving you the why, and you not knowing the reason for your suffering, does not mean there is not a purpose in it. Jesus tells us that the Christian life is full of suffering. Don't be surprised by it. Didn't he say, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. The life and death of Jesus is no different than what our life should look like. Jesus also said, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There is a cost to following Jesus, friends. But Paul encourages us by reminding us that we have a treasure that is far more valuable than anything else we could have. And the life of Jesus is manifested in us through our suffering. He meets us in our suffering. He gives us more of himself in our suffering. We don't want to miss out on that. We don't want to miss meeting God and seeing Jesus in our suffering. So what should we watch out for? Be careful and be on guard against complacency and complaining. Do you easily give in and give up when faced with hard things? Do you you lose your desire for spiritual things 
in the midst of suffering? Do you quickly respond to difficulty with complaining to others about others? Be careful to examine your heart. And fourth, in suffering, be encouraged as we are reminded of the resurrection. Friends, what encouragement would it be if all we had was the life and death of Jesus? Well, you know, Paul answers that question in the first letter to the Corinthians, in chapter 15. It's the most detailed passage about the resurrection, I think, in the Bible. And he says this, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. The resurrection of Jesus means that death has no more power. Death has lost its sting. Death is no longer the final word, and neither is your suffering, friends. You are defined not by your suffering, but by your Savior. And your Savior has been resurrected. He lives. He has redeemed us and will one day make it complete. So you can be encouraged that resurrection and redemption will happen for those who are in Christ. Look at verses 13 and 14. We believe and so we also speak. Knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. You can trust that God is working through your suffering. Your suffering does not minimize God's promises to you, though that is the temptation, is to doubt. Is God for me in this? Are his promises still true? Maybe they're true for everybody else, but what about me? You ever find yourself asking that question? I have. But God is at work in and through your suffering. And God's promises are yes in Christ Jesus. And you know this with certainty because Jesus has been raised from the dead. So whatever you're facing, whatever suffering you look like, whether now or in the past or something that is to come, it will not and is not the final word. And that's true, friends, even if God delays. Or if he decides not to remove your suffering. The promise is certain. Resurrection and redemption will happen because Jesus is alive. He's conquered death and now he sits on the throne waiting to bring everything 
under subjection to his rule. That's true. That's what you cling to when you're suffering. In suffering, we're reminded of the resurrection. Do you know, friends, that every injustice will be made right? Every tear that has been shed will be wiped away. Every broken jar of clay will be made whole. There will be no lack. There will be no sadness. There will be no grief. There will be no illness. There will be no sin. And there will be no death. You know what there will be? There will be everyone who follows Jesus, seeing Him as He truly is, and enjoying Him forever. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm sixteen eleven. Cling to that, friends. What should we watch out for? Be careful to desire quick relief. And be careful, on the other side of that, bitterness. Do you only see God's goodness if He gives you a quick answer to your prayers when you're suffering? Are you easily tempted towards bitterness? Are you able to still rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep when you're suffering? Do you reflect and remind yourself of the coming resurrection and redemption that is ours in Christ? I want to conclude this morning by sharing briefly a little bit of my personal story and what I've learned about suffering. Probably the biggest area of suffering for me and my walk with Christ relates to family. And many of you know that. Specifically, the struggle with infertility. You know, obviously, most people when you're young, newly married, You think about family. It's one of the big things, right? And you think about how many kids you're going to have and how perfect everything's going to work out and all of that. And that's not bad. You can have those hopes and dreams. But the reality is our expectations aren't always met. And I stand here today telling you that that's actually a good thing when your expectations aren't always met. Because after four years of asking for more children, and the answer being repeatedly no, at first, you know what you tell yourself? I can fix this. I can take care of this. I I know what to do. Being the, the fixer that I am, my wife can tell you. But over time, the temptation grows to doubt God and to not trust Him and His promises. But you know what? Through this, I've been reminded that God is for me because of Christ. That His promises are indeed yes 
even when we don't see the circumstances that we want or have all of our expectations met. Even when you hear no or not now. The reality is in a broken and sinful world, our expectations, they're not going to be met. And I'm here to tell you that that's actually the best thing that could happen. Because God knows better than we do what we need. You know what? He's preserved me and my family. And I believe he will to the end. I cling to that. Though affliction has come, and you know what? It's going to continue in whatever degree, in whatever way. But God does not change. He never loses his strength. He never has a weakness. I'm clinging to that, that treasure. I'm just a broken jar of clay. And you know, the temptation towards isolation in it, to avoid having to be vulnerable to others, you probably experienced that yourself. But you know what? We've learned to have hope by living in community with fellow sufferers. We have been comforted by that. Just as Paul said in chapter 1, you have comforted us. And we thank God for that. So don't be in isolation and hold that back. You don't have to cast it and broadcast it to the world, but invite others in to be encouraged. And you know what? The biggest fight the biggest temptation is that our treasure would be anything, no matter how good the gift is, anything other than God himself. That's the biggest temptation. Friends, we have a beautiful foster child with us for now. We see that God's worked out many things that we would have never fathomed four years ago. But I also want you to know that having more kids in our family is not our hope. It will never satisfy us the way that God alone will. So check and ask yourself the same thing. What are you hoping for? Because the only thing that can satisfy you and me is Jesus And he stands to offer you himself right now. All you have to do is cry out. Okay? We want more of God. And if suffering is what it takes, so be it. Because that treasure is infinitely valuable and sweet and savory and will preserve us until the end. Our suffering is Our infertility, our misplaced expectations are not the end. It will be redeemed. It's guaranteed. But we have this treasure in jars of clay. I want to end with giving you an image of this jar of clay. At the beginning, we talked about how broken and shattered and and weak and fragile it is. But let me give you a different glimpse of it. 
Think about that broken and cracked jar, but has a, that it has a treasure inside of it. And this treasure is the brightest, glorious thing you've ever seen. And it shines through that broken, shattered jar of clay so that everybody around it sees nothing but glory. Friends, you and I are those jars of clay. The glory of God has shone in our hearts and will be displayed for all of the world. So we are not the ones being seen. But Jesus is going to be seen. And we would do well to remember, in suffering, we're preserved. In suffering, we help others to see our treasure. In suffering, we look to Jesus. And in suffering, we need to remember the resurrection. So, verse 16, we do not lose heart.